Chapter 14 of The Sea Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Miller. The Sea Witch by Maturin Murray Ballou. Chapter 14 The Brothers. Now commenced a struggle in the bosom of Robert Bramble. It was some hours before he could recover from the first blush of amazement at the strange discovery he had made. Not to have had something of a brother's feelings come over him at such a time, he must have been less than human, and it was between the promptings of blood, of early recollections of childhood, before he grew to the age when his disposition, ruined by indulgence, had led him so bitterly to oppose and injure his brother as to drive him from the home of their youth. And the recollections of those little more matured years, when jealousy at his superior aptness, strength, and success with cousin Helen, had made him hate him. It was impossible for the man to forget the bitterness of the child. Besides, had not the same spirit of rivalry ripened until he found his brother in manhood still his successful rival with Helen Huntington? The reader will remember that they had all three been children together, and that the last time Charles had looked back at his home, as he started away from it, his eye detected the little form of Helen, where she stood gazing after him. If there had been any better promptings in the heart of Robert Bramble, they would have turned the balance in favor of his brother, and he would have befriended him, but this he did not do. He walked his room, bitterly musing upon the singular position of affairs, while he knew very well that Charles lay in chains on board his ship in the harbor. Then he recalled the memory of his parents. The father was dead. The mother, a weak-minded woman, was also bowed by ill health. Indeed, their early lives had few happy associations. Robert himself had embittered all its relations. It was nearly midnight, and the moon had sunk behind the hill that sheltered the harbor on the north, leaving the dark water of the bay in deep shadow. At long gunshot from the shore lay the ship in which Charles Bramble was confined. All was still as death, save the pace of the sentinel in the ship's waist, and a ripple now and then of tideway against the ship's cable. An observant eye, from the leeward side of the ship, might have seen a dark form creep out from one of the quarter-ports, and gradually make its way along the moulding of the water-lines towards the larboard bow-ports, of which it stealthily entered. Entering with this figure, we shall soon find it to be Leonard Hust, who now, watching an opportunity, slipped into the apartment where the young commander had been confined since he left the factory of Don Leonardo. No sooner was the door closed quietly so as to avoid the observation of the watch between decks. Then the newcomer opened a secret lantern and discovered himself to the prisoner, at the same time cautioning him to silence. "'Who are you?' coolly asked Charles Bramble, for thus we must know him in future. "'Then it hust,' was the reply, "'your friend, as I will soon prove.' "'But it is only a few hours since you were giving witness against me.' "'That is true, but bless you, sir, there's been a great change in matters since then.' 
so I thought, by the movements I observed, though I did not understand them. Hist! Speak low, sir, said the other, and while I am talking to you, just let me, at the same time, be filing off these steel ornaments upon your wrists. File them off? Well, then, you must, indeed, be a friend, said the prisoner. Leave me to prove that. Sit here so the light will fall on them, with your back this way. That will keep the light from showing between decks. So, that's it. But what was it that made your voice and the sound of your name affect me so this morning? I could not divest myself of the feeling that I'd heard it somewhere before. Heard it? Bless you, sir. I'd rather think you'd heard it before, said the fellow, as he worked industriously with his file upon the handcuffs. Well, where and when? and under what circumstances?" asked the prisoner, curiously. "'That's just what I'm going to tell you, sir. And you see, Master Charles—' "'Master Charles? Charles? Why do you call me by that name?' "'Why, you see, that is your name, to be sure. Charles Bramble. And you are Captain Robert Bramble's brother. And take care, hold still, or the file will cut you.' How? Do not trifle with me. What is this which you are telling me? Indeed, sir, indeed, it is all true, said the other, half frightened at the effect his words had produced upon the prisoner, who now stepped away from him and stood aloof, withdrawing his wrist from the operation which Leonard Hust was performing. Come hither, Leonard Hust, if that be your name, he said. Sit here and tell me what this business is that you refer to. No blind hints, sir, but speak out plainly, and like a man." Thus interrogated, the man did as he was directed, and went on to tell the commander of the sea-witch his story, up to the time when he was lost to his parents and friends, how he had never been kindly treated by his eldest brother, who, indeed, drove him from his home by his incessant oppression. He referred to that last gallant act he had performed by saving his mother's favorite dog, and how little cousin Helen, she is the same as Miss Huntington, had seen it all, and had thanked him over and over again for it, and a thousand other reminiscences, thread by thread and link by link, filling up the space from earliest childhood to the hour when he had left his home at Bramble Park. As he went on, relating these things, in the same old natural voice that he had poured into the same ears from their infancy until nearly ten years had passed, a long closed vein of memory seemed gradually to open in the prisoner's brain. He covered his face with his hands, and for a few moments seemed lost in connecting the various threads of the past, until gradually it all came plainly and clearly back to him. His memory had again by these hints become completely restored and he was himself again. "'Leonard, Leonard, I see all, I remember all,' he said, while a tear, a man's tear, wet for a single moment his bronze cheek. "'I am rejoiced, sir, to hear it, I am sure,' said the other. "'But, Leonard, where is my brother? And why is it necessary to remove these badges of shame by stealth? Tell me, where is Robert?' Alas, sir, you must remember that he never held a brother's regard for you. It was the very thing which drove you from us when you were a wee bit of a boy. 
true, true, but he must see the hand of providence on all this, and I know he will give me his hand, and we will forgive each other and forget the past. Alas, sir, I always befriended you at home when Master Robert had set both the old folk against you, and I would do so now. But as to him, sir, I'm sorry to say it, but he's a bad man, and he makes all those who are with him bad men. And I have many a sad thing at heart that I have been guilty of by following his orders, sir. No, no, Master Charles, take my advice. Don't trust Robert. Make your escape, or you will be hanged at the yardarm of this very ship ere another twenty-four hours have passed. Is he capable of this? asked the younger brother, in tones of amazement. Nobody should know better than I, sir, and I tell you yes. My blood, then, shall not be upon his hands, said Charles, musing. I will escape. Come, good Leonard, relieve me of these shackles, and quickly. Slowly, slowly, Master Charles, we must be cautious. There are watchful eyes on board the ship, and sentries who know their duty, so be wary. The young commander seemed now to stand more erect. There was a freer glance to his eye. His lips were more compressed and firm. He felt that what had been to him heretofore as an indelible stain, a stigma upon his character, was now effaced. He was not only respectably born, but even gently and highly so. His father was knighted by the king. His blood was as pure and ancient as any in England. He could now take Helen Huntington to his heart without shame. He could boldly plead a cause that he had not before dared to utter. He could refer to her to the dear hours of their childhood, to the tender kiss she gave him when he left that distant home to become a wanderer over half the globe. He no longer felt the irons that Leonard Hust was filing away. He seemed to feel a strength that would have snapped them like a pack threp. He was a man now, a free man, and not a thing of accident, a thing for the world to point at in scorn, nor an abandoned child of shame. No, he felt nerved at once by this singular, this almost miraculous discovery, and could hardly restrain his impatience. Yet. A shadow for the moment crossed over his brow, as he thought of that brother, who could coldly look and see him sacrificed, knowing what he must and surely did know. Could he have permitted such a result, had he been in Robert's place? Indeed he felt he could not. Does my brother know that you are here on this errand, Leonard? If he did, it would cost me my life, said the honest fellow. Charles would have placed some favorable construction upon the case, but alas he could not. There was no possible way of disguising the matter. Robert was the same bitter, jealous-spirited soul that had rendered his childhood miserable. Time had not improved him. It was his nature and could not be eradicated. Charles now realized this, and within a few further inquiries of Leonard, touching matters of vital interest to him, he resolved not to seek Robert, as he had at the outset intended. Neither would he avoid him. He knew no other person save him could bring a continuance of the suit against him, but he hardly feared that even he would do that. Of course, Helen Huntington knows nothing of this development yet, Leonard. No, sir, 
and Master Robert bid me be careful not to let her find it out, or to say one word about the matter to any one whatever. I wonder the lady didn't know you, sir. You forget that even Robert did not recognize me. And that, too, seemed funny to me. Why, sir, I seemed to know you the instant I set eyes upon you in the court, and when I got close, I soon settled the doubt in my mind. Well, my good fellow, it seems that, but for you, I might have been hanged, and that, too, by my own brother. But I trust all is set right now? I hope so, sir. Only you must not let Master Robert know that I liberated you from these ruffles, sir. Will you, Master Charles? Never fear me, Leonard. I shall not do as you are about to do towards me, give testimony that will in any way criminate you. But I wasn't, sir, of my own free will. Only Master Robert had told me what I must say, and stick to it, and swear to it through thick and thin, and I am afraid not to obey him. Poor fellow! I see you are indeed his tool. But if I find myself in any sort of position ere long, I will take care to make your situation more comfortable. Thank you, sir, said Leonard Hust, just as the last shackle dropped from the prisoner's wrists. In the meantime, let us turn for a moment to the bedside of Captain Robert Bramble, for it is long past midnight, and, weary in mind and body, he had retired to that rest which he most certainly needed. But sleep is hardly repose for the guilty, and he was trebly so. Phantoms of all imaginable shapes flitted across his brain, pictures of suffering, of misery, and of danger, to all of which he seemed to be exposed and from which he had no power to flee. Alas, how fearful the shadows that haunt a bad man's pillow! He writhed like one in physical pain, tossed from side to side, while the cold perspiration stood in big drops upon his brow and temples. Now his dreams carry him back, far back a score of years, to his childhood at Bramble Park, when all was innocence, and then, with leaping strides he finds himself, years after, even as today, bearing deadly witness against his brother. His dead father seems standing by his bedside, pointing at him a warning finger, and sadly chiding his fearful want of feeling. He tosses and turns, and rises again, then, leaping from the uneasy bed, looks bewildered around, and half grows alarmed. Quickly he wraps a dressing-gown about him, and hastily walks back and forth to still the agony of feeling and the bitter phantoms of his dreams. How haggard and wild he looks by that dim candlelight! Once more he throws himself upon his bed, and, after a while, is again asleep, if such unconsciousness can be called sleep. Again he tosses and turns and sighs like one in a nightmare, until at last, toward the breaking of day, the quick, startling breathing ceases and subsides into a regular and equal respiration, and he lies still. Nature overcomes all else, and now he sleeps indeed, but not until he has passed through a fearful purgatory of dreams, all too real, too trying. His brother, with soon the prospect of a disgraceful death on the gallows, had not suffered thus. No, he was repentant for the wrong he had done, and had already resolved to completely reform if the opportunity were offered to him. But Robert Bramble was outraging the laws of nature and of God. End of chapter 14